Support for this program comes from Tiger Lily Communications, public relations, content creation, publicity, and marketing for creatives. We make you look even better. Find out more at T-I-G-E-R-L-I-L-Y communications.com. and welcome to Speak On It, the podcast where the creatives tell their stories about what they do and how they do it. I'm Felicia Hodges, and today I'm chatting with Regina Rivers, known as Reggie Rodin, a spoken word poet and journalist who has written for The Nest Woman, Brass Media, Parley Magazine, and many more. She has also performed at poetry festivals throughout New York State, and her work has been published in Mightier, Poets for Social Justice, which was part of the Calling All Poets series anthology in 2020. Welcome, Reggie, and thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So tell me a little bit about your creativity. How did you become so involved with the written word? I mean, where do I begin? I have to say, watching my brother, Mark, and my sister, V, they took up writing, and I thought they were just doodling, but I was like, what are those things? They're like letters. What are you writing? I'm writing my poems. I'm writing my diary. Why are you writing it? Because it makes me feel better. Okay, cool. I had journal time and when I was in first grade and I just, I wrote about my day. Then I started writing about things I wanted to happen, like going to a Michael Jackson concert <laughs> and um, what else, you know, having time with my family. Then I just kept writing and writing. And I was like, this feels really good. And it became an everyday thing for me. I even scoped out my other brother, Corey, writing something one day. And I was like, oh, everybody writes. So it became something that I saw a lot. And it became more of a healing as I grew up. So where did you grow up? And and how, if at all, did that influence your creativity? (laughs) I'm originally from Scattercoke. And a lot of people give me that same look. What is that? Where is that? (laughs) It's half hour from Albany. I grew up there all my life. Like I said, I came to Poughkeepsie through New Paltz. I went to New Paltz College, um, past Poughkeepsie, some, somewhere along the way. And I fell in love with the um, artistic history and culture of Poughkeepsie. And I was like, I could see myself settling down here. Uh, I like, you know, being close to my mother and being close to my siblings at the time. We're all scattered now, but I've been in New York for most of my life. I spent a bit of time in Connecticut for college. I spent summers in South Carolina growing up practically. My brothers lived in um, Ohio and North Carolina and Vermont. So I've pretty much been on this side of the country, trying to get to the other side of the country eventually after the pandemic. A lot of things in New York have really opened my eyes, have had me grow. And I pretty much turned it into a habit of people watching. Um, Watching them write, it was mainly for school projects. And, you know, they passed, we got our good grades, but I was always thinking, why can't you write what you want to write? I want to write what I want to write. So I didn't know that at age seven, that term was called creative control. And when I realized that it was open to my avail, I experimented with it a lot. Did it start with poetry for you? 
or was it a quick transition from, you know, expressing your thoughts to being poetic in that expression? It actually started with like my daily journey, journal entries, like I said, and when I was in first grade, and then it evolved into short stories. And um, when I came across poetry, I want to say Harlem Renaissance era, Langston Hughes mainly, um, I said, this looks like it could be fun. And I just grabbed onto it. Bridget Gray was one of the first poets I saw, spoken word poets I saw live when I was in Connecticut. And she had this one piece. It, it was called Being Gray because it was her last name, but she's also um, biracial. So she talked about her white side versus her black side and how it evolved into the woman that she is now. So seeing her and, and how she performed verbally and non-verbally, the movements, the energy that she brought, like even like watching the squint of, the, of her eyes was like, so this is spoken word poetry. I like this. I could never do this, but I like this. But I was still writing poetry at the time. And one day I just practiced in front of the mirror and I said, this, this could be cool. I thought this could be cool. Transferring to New Paltz, I joined rap poetry music, met with other like-minded individuals who love to write and do poetry. I did a couple of pieces and some of them responded, where have you been all my life? Why didn't I meet you earlier in my life? Do I know you from a past life? And I'm just like, I'm from upstate New York. Nice to meet you. <laughs> but seeing how captivating and energetic it could be, and sometimes saying things that people are afraid to say has to be one of the biggest rewards I get from performing spoken word. And you do it very well. I've seen you several times and am always in awe, like, Hooray! You know, so hats off to you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, you know, spoken word involves an audience, participatory or not. You need people, not always, but it's nice, I'm sure. How has the pandemic altered that experience for you? For starters, emotionally, it, I, I have had my, I don't even want to say depressed, but it's just, I sit there and I think to myself, dang, I can't go to open mics. Everyone that I've met at these open mics, we can't be surrounded by each other in love, unity, and creativity because of it. So that was a, a brief moment where I was down in the dumps, for lack of a better term. But then uh, one of the uh, organizations, We Are Heard, they had their first annual virtual open mic. I said, why not? I'll give it a shot. So I signed on, said I wanted to join, and We Are Her, I think is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. They help individuals who have survived sexual assaults. So I performed my piece. Uh, she watched it, and she said, wow, can we use your piece? I said, that's why I'm submitting it. I want you to use it. <laughs> and um, everyone kept uh, forwarding things to me about open mics. But I do have a couple of setbacks that I dealt with, and I'm still getting past those setbacks because the comeback is always bigger than the setback. And now I just, if I see something, I'm going to apply. Um, granted, if it doesn't conflict with another appointment, events, what have you. Getting more involved with the virtual open mics has been really fun. Meeting people all over, you know, uh, the country. I participated in the Spoken Black Girl open mic. 
I talked to people from North Carolina, Philly, and I'm just sitting here thinking, this is going to be dope. And it was a small, intimate setting, but I still had fun, made new uh, people, friends to talk to on social media. It's a challenge because you need that physical closeness, you know, the hugs, the high fives, but getting a virtual, I'm rooting for you, you did fantastic. It kind of makes up for it. And we'll be back to help celebrate a little bit more of National Poetry Month with spoken word artist Regina Rivers right after this. Stay with us. The Groove Pavement Podcast, talk show, and movie review where we break down the black exploitation era, the cinematic genre, the exploitation of the black culture, and experience through film and media. We'll also dive into the cast, the subgenres, the TV shows, and the music. Outside of the films, we'll view some critical signs of the time and what these stories meant then and now, from entertainment to society to economics. The Groove Pavement. Catch a new episode each Thursday on Hudsey.tv. Facebook, and thegroovedpavement.com. Welcome back to more from poet Regina Rivers, who shares a bit about some of the prose projects that she's been a part of. I wrote for the, for my uh, college papers when I was in both Connecticut and New Paltz. I started off as a contributing writer for the Fahari Libertad magazine at New Paltz College made my way up to the editor-in-chief, you know, until I graduated, which was like awesome sauce. <laughs> I interned at Martha Stewart Living the summer I graduated. That was fun. But I did a lot of, a lot more of web production, learning how to build a website, testing it out. So that was a new thing for me to learn with some HTML coding. I also interned at um, Honey Magazine. as just a, you know, intern, transcribing, editing stuff like that. So I really enjoyed doing my freelance writing. So I said, what else is out there? Can I be a freelance writer? Can this be my side hustle? I've written for mainly a lot of online publications. Uh, I remember with Parlet Magazine, I got to interview Kim Whitley. Love her. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I love this lady. <laughs> she, was, she was awesome to work with. I um, also did an interview with, the, uh, with a rapper, Shadi Putt. He was hilarious. Like they gave me, they dropped some gems and memories that I thought was, was awesome. I like to write about lifestyle, music, whether I'm doing a review or interviewing, you know, a musician. I'm a personal finance nerd. So anything about saving and, you know, debits and credits, don't overdraft, <laughs> hide money from yourself. I love writing personal finance articles. Well, I have a double degree in sociology and journalism, so I use my sociology to influence my journalism. Anything that could help somebody, whether it's just information to help yourself or help another person or a straight up fun fact to know, I'm all down for it. And like many creatives, Reggie juggles the writing and open mics with a full-time career, hers as a youth advocate. Is it as intense as it seems? It is intense. It can be intense. It's even more intense now because the kids are not in school with their peers, with their teachers, with their guidance counselor or social worker. So I know parents are frustrated because, oh my God, I have to watch, I have to be right there for my kid to focus. But the kids are like, you know, I used to go on the computer to watch YouTube after my homework. Now I'm on the computer all day and I don't like it. 
So I'm trying to help the kids and the parents get through this challenging situation. But juggling it, I try. Uh, I'm a fan of having a physical planner. I've tried my phone. I've tried my tablet. It does not work. I'm a, being a writer, I'm a pen and paper person. So I always have a pen and paper nearby. And given the work I do with at-risk youth, because I also advocate in the schools, counseling, CPS, lawyers, police, things like that. So, but I try to help parents understand that given the circumstances that happen to them, they, they will be okay. And even though I'm there to help, I'm there to help temporarily. So trying to juggle that and keep my head on straight because sometimes I'll be with a client and I'm thinking, I got to finish that poem. I got to do that story. Reggie, focus, Reggie, focus. <laughs> it literally creeps up in ways that I have to, I have to control that um, mentally and say, not right now. I have to be in the moment and mindful of what this person needs from me or from the agency I work with and represent. So that is always an everyday battle for me. I achieve it 98% of the time. And the other 2% is just me needing a break like everyone else. I'll just sit in my car, I'll write, I'll have my phone and I'll have things that I type to myself or I scroll on other pages, um, social media of local musicians as well as, you know, the mainstream musicians. And I, again, I never leave my house with a no- without a notebook and pen, not including my planner. <laughs> so every time I see something, quick note, or I take my phone, David, remind me to finish this limerick and I go about my business. But balance is an everyday thing. You can want to perfect it all you want to, but do not be upset with yourself if you can't perfect it. It's one of those evolving things that you have to get through. So I don't beat myself up if I don't get through all of my to-do lists. I always say there's something for tomorrow because there's always something to do every day. How has um, that work, working with young people in, in sometimes situations that can be kind of chaotic or disjointed, how does, has that affected your, your work and how has your working with young people affected you as a, as a creative? Well, not to be, not to sound negative, but the worst way it's impacted it is that I come home and I go straight to sleep. I know my body needs rest. So that is a must. But every time I lay down, I'm like, that poem could sound so good if I just get up and add this lyric. <laughs> like I literally go to bed thinking of what to write. But um, also working with kids, what I love about it is that it's very humbling because most adults grow up and they forget that they spent the first 18 years of their life as a young person, as a child. Yes, you're an adult, you're evolving, I get that, but we know how to express as adults, I'm angry with you because kids don't have the skills to say that or sometimes the vocabulary, they scream, they shout, they kick. And when you hear them say, you know, I've been on the computer all day and I want to rest my eyes, that's very wordy. That's a very wordy way for a child to say, I'm tired, but that's always the case. I have to come back to my five-year-old self when working with the kids, even though I was five back in the 90s, <laughs> and realize that these kids today with the, with the circumstances and the environment, the ever-changing system, it's not the same. And again, we have the skills to have patience, take care of ourselves. The children don't. So seeing that, I catch myself wanting to write, you know, things for the kids. 
being mindful of the ages, the, the, the spoken word poetry I'll spit for a 16 year old is very different from someone I'll recite for a five year old. It's definitely brought some humility into my work in a positive way. You know, adults didn't know a lot of things, but kids feel a lot of things that adults have forgotten about. I've done a couple of poems for uh, workshops I facilitated for our annual conference. I love it because the kids are like, you look like a teenager, but you're not. I'm like, eat your vegetables. <laughs> but when I do my poetry for them, they, they, get, they pay attention. They, 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 they pay attention because I'm saying something that's vibing with them or that's capturing um, their attention and emotions. And they're like, at the end of the day, they're like, this lady gets me. And she even rapped or did poetry. And I got something from it. So anything that I recite to the kids, if they can get something from it and tell their moms and then tell their friends, again, I just sit there and I'm like, thank you, creator. And I write the next piece that comes to mind. And what advice does Reggie have for aspiring poets and spoken word artists? It sounds cliche, but practice, practice makes perfect. Don't say you will never not do something because you will end up a day later, a week later, a decade later, doing the very same thing you said you wouldn't do. I remember thinking to myself, I could never perform in front of so many people. And I found myself performing in Albany at the Urban Guerrilla Theater, my poetry. And it was fun. You know, you get the, uh, you get the initial butterflies in the stomach and things like that. Um, take a deep breath. And just after the first few verses, you are in a zone and you don't realize what you're doing until you hear that applause. So practice and shut up and do it. <laughs> Would you like to read something or perform something for us? So this one I just wrote not long ago, it's called Lifted. Um, and it's just about letting go. Resentment and bitterness are the worst emotions your heart could ever commit to. You think you're hurting your oppressor, but you're really hurting yourself. You stunt your development your wellness evolves into an illness. Your circle will diminish until you are left in your own misery. Let it go so you can grow. I can't tell you how to do this. Only you can create that path as long as you are healing. Leave the pain behind and let your heart be lifted. Only then will you rise again. Tying in with that poem, I had an experience and a couple of other people in my life um, had toxic relationships and friendships to a point where letting that go person, letting that person go was the best way to save yourself. So I'll do a snippet of, uh, of this. It's called My Precious Tribulation. You are my precious tribulation and words cannot express the gratitude that I have for you. Because from you, I have learned that I can no longer trust. Maybe I thought I could, thinking I could be so comfortable around someone so lovable, supposedly. And I thought I could keep this intimacy with you. But you kept on and on with your detrimental navigating and your facetious agitating time and time again. You have proven to be nothing more than my precious tribulation and my meekest aggravation. Hold up. Wait a minute. I got one more question. How dare you 
dawn yourself a blessing in disguise when you have cursed me more times than my own menstrual cycle and messed up my numbers far worse more than FICO. You are my precious tribulation. And the real blessing, my friend, is the fact that you are no longer in my life. Sincerely, your girl. We have FICO and menstrual cycles. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that one was actually a full poetic letter. But if you heard like all of it, you just sit there and think, okay, that's why she said what she said. You know, sometimes the context, all of it isn't necessary, right? You know what I'm saying? We can still feel it and understand and not in agreement. When you look out and you see people like nodding and they, they understand and it connects to them, that that must be payment in itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what's next on the horizon? I joined a Spoken Black Girl magazine. I do their open mics now. And whatever, again, pops up into my, into my path, into my way, I am going to see if I can get my poetry in other publications and magazines. I'm also trying to uh, get my book published this year, The Couture Chronicles. Uh, the main character is also a poet, so she uses her, poet in her, her poetry in her healing as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> what's going down. People interested in reading more about you or finding your work and finding you, how can they do that? I'm on Instagram, Reggie wrote it, one word, R-E-G-I-W-R-O-T-E-I-T. I have a Reggie wrote it Facebook page, but I don't really rock with Facebook like that, but I'm trying to in a professional sense, if you will. But yeah, the majority of my stuff is usually on, uh, on Instagram. But there's just one more thing. And I like to tell this to my parents that I meet, that I work with in my programs and anyone else who has, who has children. If you see an artistic um, talent in your child, do not suppress it. Let it flow. Let it grow. Let it evolve. Let them have their, their moments. And that's the one thing I appreciate because my mother... When we're talking and I'll say, mom, I'm sorry, I'm having a lyric moment. She knows I'm about to write and she respects that. So she never stunted it. So don't stunt your children's artistic creativities. That's some pretty sound advice. And that's our episode. You can follow Speak On It on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Vimeo. Or you can email us at tigerlilycommunications at mail, just mail, dot com to let us know what you think. By the way, the original music that you hear is called Please Irene by Lynn Riley and the World Mix. We know you're missing live music these days just as much as we are, so head on over to their YouTube channel to check out some of their past performances. Hope to catch you again soon. Stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>